there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Physical food is any nutritious substance that people or animals eat or drink or that plants absorb in order to maintain life. That's the dictionary definition of food. The Center for Disease Control estimates there are 76 million illnesses due to food poisoning, 325,000 hospitalizations, and 5,000 deaths per year because of foodborne illnesses what we call food poisoning. Salmonella organisms account for $1 billion in medical costs and lost work time every year. If you've ever had food poisoning, you remember what it was that you ate. <laughs> it makes an impression on you. People don't eat poisoned food intentionally. When you ate whatever it was that gave you food poisoning, you didn't think there was anything wrong with it. You didn't think it was going to make you as sick as it made you. If we could see that it was going to make us sick, if we could see that it was poison, we wouldn't eat it. Pretty much the rationale that most people can go with. Now, there are some people who know that certain foods are going to make them uncomfortable, but they eat them anyway because they like them. People know that certain foods are going to make them fat, which is going to make them uncomfortable when they're a picture of themselves and their actual body clash when they look in the mirror and it doesn't match the picture they have of themselves or they see a photograph of themselves and they say well that doesn't look like me that that's not a good picture of me the only good pictures of us are the ones that match our internal pictures which means there are very very few good pictures of us in existence in the world but we have lots of good pictures of us internally so we know how good we look it's just that we can't get the rest of the world to see it and that's why photographs of, us, of ourselves don't look good. Ordinarily, we are the most unconscious when we are either talking or when we are eating. We say what comes out of our mouths and we eat what we like. We don't have a lot of awareness in choosing and we don't have a lot of awareness in speaking. Blindness and unconsciousness travel together. The more aware you are, the more light you have, the more you're able to see. The less light you have, the more blind you are. Take a room, for example. If there's no light in the room, you're pretty much blind in that room, unless you can either let light in from outside or generate light from inside, turn a light on inside. You're pretty much blind in that room. You've got to depend on your other senses to try and find your way around. Mostly we'll go by hearing and by sensations. We'll touch things and try and find our way around a room if it's completely dark. So that's why I say blindness and unconsciousness traveled together. I found this to be a rather interesting story. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You can find that story in John chapter 4, verses 31 through 34. I found it interesting because Jesus was obviously talking about some kind of esoteric food. 
some kind of hidden food. Esoteric, remember, means hidden. So it's not obvious, it's not available to the five senses in the way that it's available to, the, to our internal senses. Exoteric is what's available in the outside world through the five senses, via the five senses. So he was talking about some other kind of food, but they didn't understand that because they, they looked at each other and said, well, what, did anybody bring them anything to eat? The work says that we're second force blind. The second force is the greatest force in us, which is kind of strange to be blind to the greatest force in us. For a refresher, for those of you who are not up on the work lingo, the first force is the active force. The second force is what opposes the active force. So when the work says we're second force blind and that the greatest force in us is the second force, that means that the opposing force, the resistant force, is the greatest force in us. I want you to think about this for a moment, about second force and what it means, because it's very important. It's not just what stands in the way of your aim. Everything has second force. Everything you can see, everything in this world, any form has to have second force. Second force has to be integral in the form, the object, or else it doesn't have any breaks. Nothing would stop. There would be no effort necessary for anything without second force. But because of second force, things do stop and effort is necessary. Getting rid of second force is not the answer. Most people think, oh, we'll just get rid of second force and then we'll be able to do whatever we want to do. No, because without second force, you couldn't stop doing whatever it is you were doing. Literally, there would be no form without second force. Because we know that all form, for example, the chair there, that chair, we know that chair is that chair because everything around it is not chair. Everything around it is opposing it, is not it. So that's what makes form to us. If you have something that's all the same tone, all the same value, and you look at it, you can't distinguish what it is. It's a painting of Frosty the Snowman in a, in a blizzard. So what that means is that you can't tell what it is because it's all white, because there's nothing to oppose it. And if there's nothing to oppose it, it can't have form. So form is a matter of opposition. So then if it has form, if it's manifested in our world, in our universe, it has second force. When we aim to change our being, it's second force that resists us. Everybody in this room wants to change their being. Through self-observation, they've found something about their being that they look at and they say, okay, this is something that needs to be changed. But not everybody in this room can do it. And why is that? Well, because the work says we can't do. That's not why that is. That's just parroting. And parroting is not understanding. What is it in us that represents second force? It's chief feature, the thing we don't know about ourselves, but the thing everybody else knows about us. And the thing that even if someone tells us about it, we still can't see it. Even if someone points it out to us, we may get a glimpse of it. We may be able to see its coat as it flutters by. We may be able to see a flash of something, but we soon forget it. Chief feature makes difficulties about everything. The work says that everything rests on chief feature. The chief feature is like an axle, and everything is attached to this axle. And as the axle turns, everything turns around chief feature. And we don't see that about ourselves. And so we're unable to change our being because we can't see what our being is resting on, what is turning it, what it's attached to. We're blind to that. We don't have the light that will allow us to see its form. 
to see that it is opposing us, that we make an aim and it immediately rises up and stands against any aim that we make. Any aim. I don't care what it is. The reason I say any aim is because it doesn't have to be a work aim. It can be anything at all. Because opposing force, resisting force is resisting force. It doesn't care what it's resisting. It's no respecter of persons, places, or things. It just resists because it is an opposing force. Chief feature is the name that the work gives, this greatest second force in us. What does it really mean? Well, it really doesn't mean anything. It's just an idea. It's just a concept. And it won't ever mean anything unless you can begin to see your own chief feature. If you can't see your own chief feature, then it is just a placebo. It's an idea. It's a concept that you will put in place of self-observation so that you can remain the same. It's something that chief feature will allow you to imagine that you have because opposition works in imagination as well. In fantasy, there's always an opposition in fantasy or else it wouldn't be fantasy because it's form, it's a manifestation. So it must include second force. Everyone has a chief feature, but because we're second force blind, we can't see our own chief feature. It's not like that game that we played when we were kids, blind man's bluff. Do you remember that? You would blindfold someone and then he'd have to try and find somebody and touch him. It was like kind of like tag you're it, only the person was blindfolded. So it made it more difficult. And they used to call it, it was also called blind man's buff and what they would do is touch the person to taunt him or agitate him or get him to turn in a different direction. So they would buffet him. Not hard, but just a little push or a little touch and then the person would turn in that direction. And it's like that. We are taunted by chief feature. We sense that it's there. But because we've got this blindfold on in this game, we are not able to really get hold of it. Now, when we eat negative impressions, it increases second force. Negative impressions feed chief feature, whatever it is. So let's just say it's this opposing force. It's this thing that stands against us, that bars the door to anything that we want. And every single time that we take in negative impressions, we take in, we accept. Because we can take in negative impressions without accepting them. But when we take in and accept negative impressions, when we digest them, when we eat them, when we enjoy them, when we savor them, when we do that, we are increasing second force inside of ourselves, holding us back from our aim without seeing what does it. The great thing about negative emotions is it's never our fault. It's always someone else or something else that made us negative. Look at what is happening in, the, in America today. All of these financial institutions going belly up and the stock market taking a dive and the whole world is whining about it because the whole economy, the whole planet is all linked up together now. And so what happens here affects people in countries that you'll never even be able to pronounce properly. But they know what's happening here because it's affecting them. And who is it affecting? Well, it's affecting the people who know about financial institutions. It's affecting the people who have to go and buy things. It's not affecting the people who live out in the country somewhere on a farm and they're just raising their crops and they're doing what they're doing and they're taking care of business. It's not affecting them the way it's affecting people on Wall Street, and people in banks, and political people. But it's affecting the world. In other words, the world is being affected by negative impressions because they're allowing them to come in. And what is the main negative impression? What is the main negative emotion that is running rampant in the world today? Fear. Exactly. It's fear. And what is there to be afraid of? 
they don't know. The only thing to fear is fear itself. Taking in and accepting negative impressions of others, of life, of everything, feeds the negative part of the emotional center. And what is the negative part of the emotional center? Well, it's a lot of different things. Eckhart Tolle calls it the pain body, which is the negative part of the ego, the part of the ego that loves drama, loves pain, loves upset, loves negativity. And we say, but, but that's not me, that's not me. No, we have pictures of ourselves that were never like that. But if we ever have a moment of self-observation, a clear moment of self-observation, then we know for a fact, we have seen for a fact, that what we think about ourselves is not true. I don't care what you think about yourself, it's not true. All of it is not true. There may be a shred of truth here and there, but the majority of it is not true, whether it's good or bad. Whether you think you're a terrible person or whether you think you're a wonderful person, it's not true. The negative part of the emotional center can be starved because it's acquired, like a disease that makes us emotionally ill. So negative emotions are food, impressions that we take in. And if we take them in and we accept them and we begin to digest them, they poison us the same way that food, that outer food, physical food, can poison us. Are all impressions negative impressions? No. So is all food poison? No. The only difference in our internal world is most of the impressions that we take in are poisoned, tainted. Whereas in the outer world, most of the food that we take in is not poisoned. It may not be very good. It may not have a great quality. It's getting more and more difficult to find good quality food these days because of genetic engineering and corporate farming and people not paying attention to what they're actually eating, but paying more attention to what it looks like, how long it lasts, how cheap it is. You can go and get for 99 cents, you know, you can go and get filled up at some fast food place. And that's their commercial, that's their advertising. For 99 cents, you just can fill up and you won't feel hungry anymore. Well, what's it taste like? Who cares? You know, we've got enough stuff on it so you'll be able to swallow it. So don't worry about it. And for 99 cents, you won't be hungry. Most of us don't have an idea what it means to be hungry anyway. Not in this country. And if you look at us, we're not hungry people. <laughs> we're overfed people under-exercised people. I know, now I'm stepping on toes. But believe me, there are people in other countries who are laughing up their sleeves. You know, That's right, those Americans are fat. Those Americans, are, they don't know this, they don't know that. Yeah, and it's those Americans who are ruining the world economy too. So It's great to blame somebody. But again, that's my whole point, isn't it? That is negative emotions. That's right, those Americans, that's right, that's right. So now you can imbibe in the negative emotions that we're selling you for 99 cents and it's all you can eat. So enjoy yourself because you can go away full. A healthy emotional center can transmit meaning, inspiration, which of course is something different from what life offers us. When we're born, our emotional center, now what is the emotional center? We don't know really. And that's why we call it the emotional center. Is it, a real, is it really a little center? No, it's not. It is a function. It's the ability to function emotionally. And our ability to function emotionally has been tainted and poisoned by being raised around people who had this disease. And this disease is the disease of negative emotions. It's food poisoning. It's the disease of taking in food impressions that are negative and poisoning our emotional center with it so that it doesn't function properly, so that it only functions in a sick way. Now, those of you who are nurses or doctors, you understand that there's a time when the body, certain parts of the body, stop functioning properly they only function in a sick way. And a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a clever 
person who's been around bodies knows that if you palpate this area, that it will react in a certain way painfully because it's not functioning properly. Something will happen in your eyes or your skin will something or your breath will smell or something will be different. And you can diagnose what the problem is inside of the person by something that they're manifesting outside. This is the same way. When you have food poisoning, the thing about food poisoning is it doesn't just go away. It takes a while to flush that out of your system. But if you continue to eat the poisoned food, you'll never get it flushed out of your system. You never get well. And our emotional center is not well. But it was fine when we were born. Everyone is born with a clean emotional center, with a properly functioning emotional center. But because they're raised around contaminated people, people who are eating and feeding negative impressions to each other, they then get contaminated. And once they're contaminated, they, conti they develop a craving for this food and they continually contaminate themselves. So how can you crave something that makes you sick? Look around. Look at your life. You can see that we do indeed crave physical food that makes us sick. And we, or else you wouldn't be selling 99 cents. All you can eat for 99 cents, it'll fill you up. That wouldn't be, be sold. Uh, what of that, what's that? It's a heart attack in a, what do they call those little things? Tortilla. It's a heart attack in a tortilla. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm going to meddling now. As I said, a healthy and emotional center can transmit meaning. For me, meaning, the highest meanings are inspiration. I am inspired by things. And inspiration is an emotional thing. It's not an intellectual thing. Have you ever been inspired? It wasn't necessarily, it may have been an idea that carried the seed, but the seed was emotional. Because real inspiration is an emotional thing. And it's different from what life feeds the emotional center. And all of these inspirations, these meanings, these something different, come from higher emotional center. So what does that mean? We don't know what that means. When we don't know something, we give it a name. That's what we do. We, we paste a label on it because we don't know what it is. And so when someone asks, well, what is emotional center? Then that means they don't know. But when we talk about it, you're supposed to know. You have the concept, emotional center, pain body, or whatever. But the truth is, is that you can pretend that you know and use the word and not really understand it. So higher emotional center is the source of inspiration, higher meaning, better food, better emotional food, better emotional influences. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the absolute. It comes from the conscious circle of humanity. It comes from sea influences. All these things are all names. They're all just concepts. It comes from somewhere outside of ourselves. It's not a product of ourselves. We don't generate it inside. It's something that comes from outside, like food. You don't grow your own food inside of yourself. You grow your food outside of yourself, and you put it inside of yourself. This is the same thing. Higher emotional center is the field where higher emotions are grown. It's that, then. I just want you to get the idea so that you don't get too rigid about it. The main thing about this fourth way is, in my opinion, a need for flexibility. Being inflexible is not a sign of intelligence. Being rigid is not a sign of intelligence. Being flexible is a sign of intelligence. Being flexible is a sign of understanding that you don't know everything, where you actually are in the ray of creation, understanding your nothingness. When you can understand your nothingness, you become very flexible. You don't become rigid. You don't stand up to things and fight them. You don't force issues. You become very supple, very flexible, 
like a young sapling able to move in the breeze. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. Thankfully, we're not born with a negative part of the emotional center. Negative emotions are acquired. You're not born with food poisoning. You're not born contaminated. Then it's not a natural part of your organism. Therefore, it's unnatural. So it's acquired. That's good news. The good news in that is since it's acquired, you don't have to have it. So when the work says you have the right not to be negative, that really is a huge idea. It's a huge positive idea. But until you can understand it, until you can let it come into you, until you can really nourish yourself with that idea, it's meaningless. You have to really understand it. You have the right not to be negative. Why? Because negative emotions are acquired. It's not part of you. It's a sickness. It's part of your disease. It's part of like a cancer in the emotional center that's eating away at it, that's obstructing its natural flow. It's like heart disease that keeps your heart from functioning properly, keeps it from feeding the rest of the body properly, keeps it from oxygenating the rest of the body properly. It's like that. I just want you to get the idea outside of the work lingo. The work lingo can become a tremendous barrier after a certain point. And you've got to really make it yours. You've got to make it yours. And the only way to make it yours is to see it working in you. Not in other people, but to see it working in you. So this means that because we're not born with a negative part of the emotional center, that our emotional functionality is diseased by being infected by other people, unconscious people, who we're born into the midst of, this means we can separate from them because they're not essential to us. The emotional part of you is essential to you. You have to have that. But you don't have to have it poisoned. So you have to eat. But you don't have to eat poisoned food. You don't have to eat contaminated food. You don't have to continually make yourself sick by eating the wrong thing. But I'm in the habit of doing that. Yes, we know that food can be very habit-forming. And we know that people develop incredible cravings and imbalances when it comes to physical food. And it can be a real tough nut to crack. But it's not impossible. We can choose what we will eat and avoid food poisoning from now on. But I have this habit, yes, but from now on, if you are aware, you can choose. Well, what if I'm not aware? Then you can't choose. If you remain blind to chief feature, if you remain blind to what is poisoning you, if you remain blind to it, you can't choose. So you have to get some light. Where does the light come from? The light comes from self-observation. You've got to be able to observe yourself. Well, I've been observing myself all my life. Yes, but we're not talking about observing yourself that way. We're talking about observing yourself in a specified way that esoteric teachings direct us to because if we observe ourselves as we wish to observe ourselves, we will only see what we wish to see. If we observe ourselves as we're instructed to observe ourselves by an outside source, then we will see what we don't wish to see. And it's what we don't wish to see that we need to see because that's where chief feature lies, where we don't wish to see. When we take in and accept a negative impression of another, it poisons our emotional center, our emotional functionality, adding to the disease that we acquired since birth. It also lodges in us, continually poisoning us. Each person that we know exists out here in the physical world that we access through the five senses. That person is sitting in a chair. That person sitting in a chair leaning forward. That person sitting in a chair leaning back. That person sitting in a chair with their arms crossed. That person's not sitting in a chair. These are representations. But the thing is, is that they also exist inside of us, not just outside of us. 
And this is something that we've really got to make a distinction between that physical being out there and this representation that we have in here. Once we have taken in and accepted a negative impression of some person out there, they can go on. But the representation inside of us has turned negative, is poisoning us, and it will continue to poison us even when the person is gone or even when the person changes and is no longer toxic. So there are people who are toxic in life. There's no way to get around it. There are people who are so poisoned that they become toxic to other people. And they're very unpleasant to be around. But this work doesn't say, well, push them away. Don't be around them. This work says, learn how to take these people in to transform the impression before you eat it so that it doesn't poison you. So that inside, they are not poisonous to you. Inside, you stay healthy, no matter what they're doing outside. Do you get the power of this? Creepy people don't have to decide what kind of a day you're going to have, whether or not you're going to throw up today, whether or not you're going to have fever today, whether or not you're going to have the shakes today, whether or not you're going to have diarrhea today. Right now, they do decide because we eat them however they come. We eat them unwashed, as it were. So one of the first things you do about food is wash it. What do they tell you about salmonella? Wash the stuff. Wash whatever it is. Wash the vegetables. Wash the meat. Wash whatever it is. Make sure you cook it thoroughly. What does all that mean? Make sure you bring fire, heat to it. What does that mean? It means bring up these work ideas to the level of incoming impressions and mix them together. Wash them. Clean them. Heat them. Cook them. Transform them. How do you transform a raw egg into a a hard-boiled egg? Heat. That's how you transform it. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about you doing the work internally. And once we take in a negative impression of a person who we know, especially a person we know well, why a person that we know well? Why does it become poisonous to us if it's a person we know well? But if it's some stranger, it doesn't. Some stranger is easily forgotten because they don't have a big representation in us. But a person we know well, it's a big representation, takes a lot of space. You poison that space, you've got a good dose of food poisoning. You're going to be sick. You're going to have reactions. And then you're going to start poisoning people around you because it's contagious. Another thing that it does is increases enemies in you. When we take in negative impressions about other people, it increases enemies inside of us. There are enemies. That means that they are poisoning us inside. We are suffering. But we blame the suffering that we experience inside on the outside representation of what we have allowed to come into us, what we have taken in as an impression this representation of this person. How can we detect poisonous food before we eat it? The Fat Podcast number 114, Vestibule, was about creating a space so that when something comes into your house, you have doors and you decide there which door to lead this something to. So this person comes into your house and you decide what door they're going to go through. So let's say this person comes into your house and they're very toxic. This person out here or this event or whatever it is and they've come in to this room that we have prepared, that we have created, where there's a space. They come into the vestibule and we decide from that point which way they go. If they're toxic, then we send them this way. If they're friendly, then we send them this way. If they're loving, then we send them this way. It's up to us to decide where they're going to go. But if we don't have that space They just come straight in. They're in. There's nothing we can do about it. There's no way to direct them. We've got to have doors, and those doors have to be closed so that when someone comes in, we decide what door to open to them. It's our choice. But again, it takes awareness, something that we don't naturally have because life has hypnotized us. Life has got us in this drooling stupor 
where we just talk without thinking, where we do without planning, where we do automatically because something out there made us react, where we have few responses and many reactions. So if you've created one of these spaces inside of yourself, and this, this morning I'm going to call it a kitchen because we're talking about food and food poisoning. I'm changing it from a vestibule to a kitchen. The same idea, but unless you've prepared this kitchen where the food can come in and you can wash it and process it, then you're going to suffer the consequences of this food poisoning. So once you've got this space inside of yourself so that you can see it coming before letting it inside, you've done something very important for yourself. You've created this insulation between you and negative impressions or poisonous food. And once you've created that insulation between you, that space where you can say yes or no to it, you have done yourself a great service. This is why this work talks about self-observation so much, because it really is the beginning of everything. It really is one of the only tools that we have. But you have to be aware to observe yourself, and you have to have some knowledge to observe yourself. You can't just observe yourself any old way. You've got to observe yourself as you're taught to observe yourself, not identified observing yourself as if it was just an interesting stranger who really meant nothing to you, but that you watched very intently to see what he would do next, and you made note of it, but you didn't judge it or condemn it. When we can see the negative impression for what it is, poison, we won't freely eat it. We won't identify with it. It's really what it means to freely eat it, doesn't it? It means to identify with it. When you identify with it, you take it into yourself. You take it as yourself. When you take food into yourself, it's no longer the food that it, whoever it belonged to. It is now your food. It's in your body, and you are responsible for it. And it's going to do something in your body. This is what this means. We won't let it go where it wants. We won't say I to it. That's what this means to create this space inside of ourselves. We must learn to be suspicious of what we like to eat. I mean this in an outer way and in an inner way. If you like it, question it. If you have a yen for it, and what a yen is, a strong yearning, a strong desire, if you have a yen for it, question it. Be suspicious. Don't eat what you feel like eating. Your feeler is sick. The functional part of you that feels, the emotional part of you, is sick. Don't trust it. You have to rely on the doctor's orders. And the doctor, in this case, is the work. The doctor says, look, this is going to hurt you. This is the medicine that you need. This is the pill that you need to make. You need to go and gather this, this, and this, mix it all together and press it, make it into a pill, and then you need to eat that pill. That pill will be very bitter in your mouth. It will, be, it will not taste good. It will be very bitter. You'll just barely be able to get it down. But once it gets into your stomach, it turns sweet and it starts to heal you. That's what this work is. And when it says you need to make and take this pill, that's what it's talking about. Outer life, people, and things come in only as impressions via the senses. The only way that any of this can affect us is if we allow it to come in as an impression through the senses. So the whole world going crazy in fear, the only way that that can affect you is if you allow it to come into you, if you eat it, if you identify with it, if you accept it as an impression. The only way that it can affect you. It cannot affect you in any other way. I'm sure there are people who will take issue with that and say, well, what if the stock market crashes? What if it does? Well, I'll lose all my money. So what? The only way that can affect you is if you allow that to come in as a negative impression. Self-observation in the moment creates the space to show it the proper door. What door? The way I like to look at it is the kitchen or the latrine. You either flush it, get rid of it, or bring it in, clean it, transform it, cook it, turn it into something usable for you, 
transform the impression that's coming in. Make it usable for you. So if it's a negative thing, transform it. How? Use the work ideas. There are negative things about you that can be used to heal you, to benefit you. But you have to learn how to show at the right door. The first conscious shock is eating consciously. We can eat consciously. We can bring our awareness to what we eat. We can accept some impressions and reject others. When I say reject, I don't mean be negative about them. I mean simply show them the proper door. Oh, well, that goes into the latrine. Oh, well, that goes into the, the fire. Oh, well, that goes into the boiling pot. Oh, that goes into the sink to be washed. No judgments about it. No condemnation about it. No bad feelings about it. Do you understand? It's just a simple process. This is the beginning of being a conscious man. This is where it starts. It can't start anywhere else. It has to start here. If we continue to take in and accept endless jealousy, envy, unhappy, negative impressions of events, of daily life, other people, we will continue to suffer from food poisoning. When we eat that for which we acquired a taste when we were children, it will make us quite ill, and eventually it will kill us. Food poisoning, maybe there are only 5,000 deaths a year, but do you want to take that chance? It's accumulative. Once you start getting negative, you continue to get negative. It's accumulative. It's easier to be negative the next time. We are no more than a function of life, driven by life, with nothing conscious in us, if we don't begin to give ourselves the first conscious shock by eating more consciously, taking in impressions more consciously. This is the beginning for us. We must do this. If we'll expend the force to create the space in the moment, we'll develop discernment and avoid negative emotions just in the same way that you avoid whatever food you remember giving you food poisoning. So what I say is, if you will expend the necessary force to be aware right now, right now and right now and right now, as impressions are coming in, you can avoid food poisoning. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.